Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there. Welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last, and this is Beyond Synth. I was debating whether or not I wanted to start the show with this or end the show with this, but I guess uh, I'm starting the show with this. So, you know, it's the Beyond Synth patrons who allow me to make this show. And every week I read the names of the people who support uh, Beyond Synth. And some names I really enjoy saying. I relish them because they're fun to say. And over the weekend, we lost one of those wonderful people. Chris Elia Lane, a name that I love saying every week because <laughs> it's just a fun name to say. Uh, she's a cool lady. She passed away over the weekend. Now, I didn't know her very well, although I did speak with her from time to time. Chris Elia was very public on her social media about her battle with depression and uh, bipolar. Whenever I could, if I saw that she was upset about something, I would message her and she would be very uh, candid with me about it and what was going on. And I liked her. She seemed fun. She was always fun with me, you know, when I would chat with her. And, and I just really loved saying her name. Chris Lane. I made a video when I realized what had happened, which I am not going to post. <laughs> I was very emotional. And I'm not usually a very emotional guy. But I'm glad I made the video because it allowed me to sort of work through my feelings. And afterwards, I realized that if I just post some video of me crying, it's like it's about me and it's not about me. I feel like videos like that, it's sort of, it's like attention seeking. It's like, ooh, look how empathetic I am or whatever. And it's, it's, I don't think I knew Chris Elia well enough to post something like that. My feelings are real. They're genuine, but, you know. I remember one time when uh, Chris Lye was feeling down and I messaged her and, you know, the way I am, I'm not, uh, I never know what the right thing is to say to people, but my mission is always to, you know, just say some funny things and redirect the <laughs> the situation. And, uh, and she knew what I was doing because partway through it, she called me on it. She's like, you're just distracting me, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I am. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and we laughed about it. She had a good sense of humor. And uh, I hope that I was, in those small moments, uh, an effective distraction. But these are serious things that are well out of my realm of uh, expertise. To be fair, my realm of expertise is very small. <laughs> I'm not a very smart guy. But that is, that's not the point. I'm not going to stop saying 
your name, Chris Elia, because I like it. And I will continue to say it every week. I don't know how you found my show, and I will never know. <laughs> I don't know how anyone finds this. But I'm happy I got to know you for the little amount of time I did, and I am thankful that you supported me when your life was difficult. But for everyone else listening, look, I don't want this to be weird or sad, although it is sad. Beyond Synth is always meant to be a reprieve from the world, which can be very overwhelming and stressful and chaotic and depressing, and I don't want it to be that way. So we are going to have a regular show, and it's going to be a fun show, but I couldn't uh, do it without saying something because that would also be strange, considering how much every week I enjoy saying Chris Elia Lane. And to all the rest of you people who support Beyond Synth out there, know that I, I really do appreciate it. I don't have other ways of saying that. I can look in a thesaurus, thesaurus, thesaurus. I can look for alternative words. I always say that to people when they... They support the show. I say, I, I, hey, man, thanks. I appreciate it. I always say that same sentence. Um, after a while, the repetitiveness of it maybe seems like it's disingenuous, but it's genuine. I just don't know other ways to say it. But it's that sort of that repetition on social media that I guess maybe is the problem sometimes. You're inundated by, by so many people's pain. And you want to help, but you can't really. And then you see so much of it that that you become desensitized to it. When I first got to know Chris Alaya, um, I thought, oh, you know, I see she was she was upset or she was posting things, and I would respond. I would say, oh, you know, Jay, cheer up, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like many people on social media, and you have them on your Facebook page, and I have them on mine and on our Twitters, our Instagrams, after a while you get used to it. You get used to other people's pain. And then it becomes easier to ignore. And when I look back and I see some of the things she wrote in the past few weeks, I know that I was probably in that state where I was trying to get things done and I'm doing my work and it's, it's time-consuming and I'm very busy and I can see another post and go... Oh, look, uh, she's sad again. I don't need to deal with this because this is a regular thing. But it's weird that we can get used to other people's pain like that. Isn't it? So, is social media actually bringing us together? Because we shouldn't be able to write people off like that. Anyway, the point is, beyond synth, this show... I want to make sure that I stay true to the goal of the show, to be entertaining and to be a distraction. It's a weird goal. Other people have much more noble goals, but mine has always been to be entertaining, to be enjoyable for people. And that's what we're going to do. And now, to do a complete 180, I am now going to play a clip, which I recorded yesterday, of my daughter who is two years old, 
as of a few weeks ago. She told me I was funny (laughs) for the first time. I don't know why. She all of a sudden just said it. I was making her laugh, and I thought I would play this clip just because I thought it would be a good thing to do. We're going to put video games in the van. We're going to put blankets in the van. And you know what else we have to put in the van? (laughs) You! It's funny. Am I funny? It's funny. We're going to put clothes in the van. And we're going to put your crib in the van. And you know what else we have to put in the van? (laughs) You! (laughs) Is it funny? It's funny. Is it? It's funny. It's funny. It's funny. You're so funny. (laughs) It is so funny. It's so funny. (laughs) It's so funny. You're so funny. Wow. What's your wow? Alright, does that make you feel better? (laughs) Today on the show, uh, we're going to be talking to Makeup and Vanity Set. We're going to have a good time. Uh, It's a fun chat. And obviously he makes lots of cool music, as you know. And it was fun to catch up with him. And we're going to be debuting a new track uh, later on in the interview from his new collaboration with Jasmine Cassett. And uh, and that's also a really cool album, which I've been lucky enough to listen to. So here's a track. Um, this is one I've played on the show before. It's a lovely track. It's by Perturbator featuring Adam McNabb from Lucaset. And this is uh, Meet Jimmy.
And that was Meet Jimmy by Perturbator featuring Adam McNabb from Lucasette. I love that song. I know we're sort of bouncing all around today emotionally. Um, <laughs> hey, that's what that's what my life is like. That's what life is like in general, you know? Sad one minute, happy the next. I mean, that's the trick they use in movies all the time, you know, although have a sad moment and punctuate it by a joke and it makes the joke funnier because you're you're in this this different place it's sort of a it's a way we cope with things and definitely the way i cope with things is through laughter and having fun i was just about to say it's good to have fun (laughs) i am a foolish man i want to say we have some new patreon uh supporters this week i know this week is hard so maybe the format of the show is going to be slightly different today but i do of course want to acknowledge uh the people who make beyond synth possible and i have some new supporters this week we got c thomas howell we got sebastian ante and we have dennis gruder is that how you say your name gruder yeah so thank you guys these are the new donors this week and also, uh, Joey and Kendra, and Joey messaged me, and he said, uh, Hey, Andy, I'm not sure what you have going on. I was going to see if you could dedicate Kendra and I's donation in the name of Chris Alaya for an upcoming show. And of course we can. We'll do it now. <laughs> Apart from that, I'm really short on words this week. It turns out that <laughs> there are situations that I am ill-equipped to talk which might surprise you. I know some people think maybe I'm just this this chatterbox all the time when I'm not recording, but uh, there are definitely situations that happen that shut me up. So I think we'll just go to the interview, to my conversation with Makeup and Vanity Set, and that's what we'll do. Uh, first, maybe actually we'll listen to another track. This is a really nice song, and I'm going to play it now. <laughs> I'm a terrible, terrible host. This is a track from Pattern Shift from the album Four Evocations, and it's called Data Hostage, or Data Hostage. We'll say Data Hostage. Data Hostage. And uh, and this is just a, a really lovely song, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's Pattern Shift, and uh, yeah, let's listen to that.
All right, and that was Pattern Shift with the track Data Hostage. I really like that. And you should go check out Pattern Shift at patternshift.bandcamp.com. Uh, it's good stuff. I uh, I was listening over it, and I just... I listened to that song a few times. I just... I like the melody. It's nice. It's a nice track. So, we're now going to go and chat with Makeup and Vanity set. Um, this is now a regular Beyond Synth episode from here on out, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. All right. Here's me and Makeup and Vanity set. All right, well, I am here with Makeup and Vanity Set returning to the show after a few years, Mr. Has it been that long? Yeah. Good grief. I'm just going to leave it at Mr. I'm not going <laughs> to... No, that's good. Just Mr. Makeup and Vanity Set. So I was in... I went to Newark, New Jersey for Human Music Fest mm. and was continuously having that conversation with people because they were like, how should... How do you address... Especially in that setting when you meet a lot of other people that perform and they all have names that they use on stage and it's like how do you refer to one another so people kept coming to me and going just yeah i'm just going to refer to you as mavs that's what i'm going to do call you mavs <laughs> well it's sort of close to your actual name that's true that's true so yeah it worked out it's good yeah because on, on some of the newer albums you have sort of like the mavs yeah on there now is that your subtle way of rebranding no i never have anything to do with that to be honest anytime i'm in a situation where someone's making artwork i'm very content to let them go do what it is that they want to do and i think the first proper mavs thing was probably data airlines did that and um, which was eric johnson who's their kind of in-house art guy does amazing work so yeah i have him to thank for that i guess are you happy with it yeah i'm totally good with it i'm it's all good it's a lot easier to type out yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm lazy. <laughs> so what's been going on, man, in the uh, in the interim years here? Because uh, you were on in season four. Mm -hmm. uh, you came on for a, a two-part episode because we ended up talking for a long time. A lot has been going on. Well, tell me about it, man. Yeah, it's been busy. I was trying to remember the last time I was on, like what we what I was even teasing out release-wise. Because I, I feel like you and I were talking about it a little bit. I think Brigador was about to happen. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe even Brigador Volume 1 one was out but it was the newest thing yeah usually when i have people on the show for the first time we we just kind of dive into the back catalog yeah since you've been on there have been uh, there was uh, the uplink ep and then the brigador volume two and chrome and yeah up armored and trackless and jogger and all sorts of things <laughs> i can just keep naming them a lot of soundtracks i feel like um i also feel like since i've talked to you like music became my full-time gig it just became very accelerated because a lot of people i know that are active you know artists in synthwave music they all have jobs and you kind of develop this weird economy of time and for me it was like you know i have kids you know how do you divide working a you know eight hour day and a day job and then family and then music and the cool thing about running away from the job and doing music full time was, you know, all of a sudden I had discovery again. Like I had time to kind of sit down and hash it out, you know, and figure it out. And I feel like spending so much time 
working a job and trying to make music on the side, you just get to where you, without sounding like I'm tooting my own horn, but it like sounds, you develop this skill for using time wisely. So you come around the corner on that and you're like, oh, now I have time again to sit with a synth and like actually dive into it and figure out, you know, what's going on with it and get and really get inside of it. So I think it's been good. It's been uh, a lot of the things that you rattled off there were soundtrack related. And I think that's become kind of the bigger part of the workload is, is scoring which is cool. I'm into that. That's the thing I always wanted to do. So it's been good, man. It's just been busy. Now, I know that feeling exactly because I mean, I have kids and uh, I don't really have a proper office. Yeah. Like just the way that where we live is designed, like my office is the corner of the room. Yeah. So I never feel comfortable like zoning out because it looks like I'm not working. Like, see, a lot of my work, because I feel bad, because, like, my wife will walk in, like, you know, if there's, like, havoc going on and, like, the kids running around and doing nonsense stuff, and I'm actually working. Like, I'm looking at playlists and listening to music that people have sent me and stuff like this, but it doesn't look like work. Yeah. You know, like, it looks like me staring at a screen, clicking a mouse. Sure. So I feel, like, self-conscious. Yeah, that's real. The guilt is real there. I feel like it's a... It's funny, when I, when I first went full-time music my dad I, was, I had a conversation with my dad about it. my dad has worked for himself since as long as i can remember He's, he has owned his business and uh, i said to him you know i was like I, it's weird like it is it, it's a weird feeling and i was trying to like articulate it to him and he said to me like it does it feel like you're playing video games like it feels, it feels <laughs> and i think part of, but i think i think part of that is like you're doing a thing that you love to do and that's different you know for 10 years, I had a, a job where I'd go and I mean, I was okay being there, but it was like, I felt deep down that it had very little to do with me, you know, like who I was. Yeah. And so you do have this very like grown up adult thing that happens where you're like back in the grind, you know, like you're walking in on a Monday morning with a low forehead, looking for coffee, punching the clock, you know, ready to go to work. And it's like, you don't have that suddenly, like when that switch flips, you, you do, you have this weird feeling of like, ah, I'm not like I'm cheating. Like I'm doing something, I'm doing something wrong here. You know, like for me, I've always been really bad at assessing my own worth. So not only do I work for myself, but I mean, it's not just the podcast. It's like, I also do like video editing jobs and stuff. And yeah. a lot of them are really, um, uh, they're terrible and, and, and it hurts me to do it. Like I actually like yell at my computer yeah. because of how boring some of these jobs are. And I yell at my computer and just be like, stop being so boring because I actively can't work on them. Like, you know, when you're doing like corporate kind of video things, like I'm just watching like yeah. people give speeches and I'm like, oh, it hurts me to do. Yeah. So some guy got in contact with me very kindly to help me come up with some sort of a plan and, and one thing I've never done in my life and this sounds terrible like because I'm what 36 or whatever I am yeah. uh, I've, I've never like assessed my worth as to like what I'm actually worth an hour or what I need to earn an hour Yeah. so I've I've fallen into jobs where people have fought on my behalf to get a raise and stuff because I never would do it they'd be like yeah. you know for this job Andy like you can you can probably charge this or whatever I'm like okay cool you know like I, I'm never the guy that goes like you should be paying me this Yeah. so he gave me this sort of mathematical equation maybe people know this and this is just like standard business thing of like you know you just sort of add up all your monthly bills and add 30 percent or something and then divide yeah. that by the hours you can work and sort of figure out like what your time is worth yeah and i've never done that like i just <laughs> did it this weekend yeah and at least it gives me a sort of frame of mind of go okay well if i think i'm worth so many dollars an hour 
then there's certain tasks that maybe I'm just not going to do anymore. Or maybe like it would actually be cheaper and easier if I just like paid someone to do it for me, you know, than waste six hours of my time when I know like I could pay somebody who knows what they're doing for one hour of their time to do the same thing. Sure. This is actually very useful. I feel like there's a ton of people out there that I had this conversation a lot in New Jersey, just talking to other synthwave artists that were like, you know, I really want to get into scoring. Or I really want to do this. And it's like, that's a crucial part of it. I mean, there's a very romantic, like a romanticized thing where you talk to people like, yeah, I want to create this awesome thing. and I want to collaborate. It's going to be awesome. But the other shoe on that is like, you have to fend for yourself. You have to be able to sort of know what you're worth. And you also have to kind of have a wherewithal to like have that debate and not feel gross about it. Yeah. Um, because you absolutely will. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that was a huge learning curve for me, you know, as I started to score more things and started to work on things, there's kind of a one two punch of like, you're going to get a lot of the like, do it for exposure, you know, that kind of thing, like, I don't want to pay you Mm -hmm. or, uh, or you deal with people that are like, yeah, I'm going to pay you and then they don't. Uh, And that happens, that absolutely happens too. And so there's a back and forth that you're going to experience. So it's important to sit down and say, just like you said, like there is a metric to it. There is a a system in place. And the thing that was the most scary to me with leaving my day job was insurance. Because I thought, I got to take care of my family. How am I going to do this? And you lucked out because you're Canadian and you have a system in place. But it's like, I think in America, it's like this super complex thing. It's horrifying. And Do like, you put the emphasis on the in when you say insurance? <laughs> I just, I just insurance. heard the way you said that word. You were sort of yeah. like, and then I need insurance. I guess you could say insurance. Yeah. I don't think it really, I mean, it, it might matter. I don't know. <laughs> Does it seem like I'm, I'm deviating from the actual point of what you're saying? No, no. Now I'm like, now I'm having this crisis where I'm questioning <laughs> whether or not I've been saying it wrong all along. It's super possible. Listen, w- w- this is interesting stuff, but I want to listen to a song first. Yeah, let's do it. We're going to just go and we're going to run through some of the stuff that you've done since I talked to you last. And so uh, we're going to listen right now to the uh, track from the Brigador Uplink EP. And this was the Brigador theme, the original demo by Makeup and Vanity set. <laughs>
And that was the Brigador theme, the original demo by Makeup and Vanity Set. And I'm here with Makeup and Vanity Set right now, Matt. Yeah. You're Matt or you're Matthew? You're a Matt, right? I'm a Matt, yeah. Yeah. All right. Either or. It's all good. Do people call you Matthew when they're mad at you? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. I feel like Brigador is a good coming off of what we're talking about. Because Brigador was the first gig that someone was like, you know, I'd never scored a game before. And uh, the guys at Stellar Jockeys were emailing me and asking, we were talking back and forth. And they said, write us a demo. And that's actually what I sent them. Because they sent me some information about the game. And I was like, this is what I hear, you know, when I was thinking about the idea, the general idea of Brigador. And, and they were like, this is great. This is awesome. You're hired. They were like, you know, send us a bid. And I had like a deep panic attack because <laughs> so I was like I've never bid on anything like this before in my life I'm always a glass half empty kind of situation where I look at it and go I'm going to totally send them this bid and they're going to be like this guy's insane mm -hmm. no way we're going to pay him that and I found out later that what I was asking for was actually far less than I think what people would be charging for that kind of work. Right. You have to go through that and, and have those experiences to learn how to do it. You know, and I'm sure you've gone through a lot of that stuff, you know, with video editing and working on things to kind of figure out, like you said, what, what it is, what's it worth, how to deal with people and how to ask and how to, how to know. Since I'm not a super assertive guy, so mm -hmm. it's not that I think my work is bad. It's like I undervalue me. Sure. I feel like I'm doing it because I'm, hey, I'm a, I'm a good guy, man. Like, uh, you know, well, I'll do this for you. Like, this is fine. And then it, then I'm sitting there like stressed out going like, did I literally just do like a week of work for like 200 bucks? Like, is that just what happened? <laughs> do you have other people that do you have other people professionally that you feel comfortable talking to? They'd be like, Hey, how much should I be charging for this? Yeah. Cause that's crucial. Yes. I, like I have friends who work as video production companies, you know, and we've discussed like the formula for coming up with a price and it just shows how I was just thinking of the work completely differently. Yeah. You know, like I was, I was thinking of how many hours it would take me to do, but my my friends build their clients based on the overall finished product. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, one minute of finished footage has a price and that's the price you would quote a client. So you joined a guild. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's funny, but like, I feel like it's true. Like everybody kind of needs a guild, you know, like for a minute I was talking to uh, Sparrow and I were drumming up this idea of having like a synthwave production discord, like a, a group of people that sort of spitball ideas and share demos and stuff. And I think it, it's like, you know, I think it's important to have people to bounce stuff off of and it, and it goes into all things. I mean, you're talking about video editing. It's like when you look at music, like scoring a game, like if you're trying to score a game, you're going, okay, so do I build it by a project? Is it a flat rate? Do I build it by like minutes of audio produced? Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to do it by the minute, is it going to, what are you going to look at for revisions? Like how many revisions are they going to get? Because if you don't set those limits, people can get whoa out of hand like really fast. Oh yeah. Uh, because they nitpick it to death. The other thing is like, if you're doing a game, is it a work for hire? Like, are they hiring you and they own the work? And if they own the work, can you release it? And if you release it, can you profit off of it? There's all these crazy layers to it. And it's definitely helpful. It's worth it to have a other people that have been through it that you can talk to. It's definitely worth it to get like a lawyer. I would definitely say, and that sounds like a total, I feel gross saying that, but it's true. <laughs> like you have to have somebody, you have to have somebody who can read over things that they're going to know more than you are as far as, you know, the legal wording of everything. It's something that comes with the territory, I guess. The other people I know who have done some scoring stuff, like they do it, it's by the minute. But then I wonder mm. with certain 
type of music like do you feel like you're almost cheating if it's like well i'm gonna bill them so much for the minute and then like you're doing like a song that's just sort of like electronic and go like i'll just loop this part for an extra minute you know like (laughs) i totally agree with you but at the same time it's gonna be half that and also half creative angle you have to also trust in the creative process you're the one that's making the decisions going is that worth it for this part of the thing like whatever it is you know and and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't so and that's another big part of it too like that billable minute thing may have weird loopholes or weird issues like that but it's not always going to be that way Mm -hmm. and you're not going to know that in the front end so sometimes you do have to put those weird little standardized things in place to protect yourself you know like that's part of the game unfortunately and i guess every project is different Mm -hmm. like i I understand that if you were doing like a regular thing like if you were scoring a television show or something then yeah you'd probably have a contract where it's like per episode you know you get paid so much per episode but when it's like every time you're doing a different project with a different company different medium if it's a game or a short film or something, then obviously it's going to be completely different every time. For sure. You just need that sort of baseline understanding of, I guess, the more projects or mediums you work in, you sort of have, you you come in with a certain amount of knowledge. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, my number one rule when I'm, honestly, when I'm working on anything, my number one rule, the first rule is don't be a dick. (laughs) Like, like, you know, I feel like it's funny, but it's like the truth is, like, if you're going to have an attitude, if you're going to make it hard, if it's going to be hard for people to work with you, you're probably not going to do a lot of work. Like there's a difference between setting expectations and being like a jerk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always tried to be open about collaborating with people and I've always tried to like be, I mean, sometimes people come to you with a project and like, I want to do this thing and I only have this amount of money to work on it. And you look at the project and you look at the people involved and you go, these people are a nightmare. I don't think I'm going to be able to work with you on this. Or you look at the project and you're like, these people are really interesting. This project is really interesting and you're willing to do it for a little less. Every project is different. And it's just, you know, you have to get used to that. And that that was the hardest adjustment for me, like when I started scoring and working more in freelance stuff and, and doing games and things like that. It's like, you do, you have to be discerning. There is no perfect formula for a job. You just meet people and you assess it and you decide whether or not you're going to do it. Well, uh, speaking of assessing stuff, let's assess another song by Makeup and Vanity set now. This is my awesome segue that we're going to... Uh, to <laughs> To Brigador Volume 2, uh, and there's lots of, like, long songs in this yeah. one. You're like, I think, like, the bass line is, like, seven or eight minutes or something. Like, the, the tracks are long. Uh, but uh, they're cool, and this was the one that I dug uh, from the album. This is They Roam in Packs.
And that was They Roam in Packs by Makeup and Vanity Set. And I'm here with, with Matt. Whatever happened to that? Wasn't there another dude? Some guy called Christian? Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, so Christian uh, is a buddy of mine who plays drums. Occasionally, when I would play shows, I would get live drums involved. So he would work with me on stuff. So this has been a source of contention for a lot of people. Because <laughs> I'll go places and play shows, and they're like, aren't there two of you? And like, I feel like when I can get a drummer to play with me live, I will absolutely do it. Because there's just some kind of rawness and like violence that a drummer brings to a performance that you're not going to get standing on stage by yourself. It just doesn't happen that way. I always err on the side of violence if I can help yeah. it. And I, <laughs> and so I feel, I feel like uh, you know, from, from a performance standpoint, we would play a lot of shows together. And um, yeah, he's a good dude. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's settled. <laughs> that settles that. Yeah. What was the deal with um, Brigador? Because. You have a lot of like sort of releases and side releases that are connected to this project. Yeah, it was an abundance of content, really. They decided early on that they they had a very specific vision in mind for that game. They want they didn't want the music to sound like a video game. They wanted it to sound very John Carpenterish. They wanted to kind of fit that world. The world was very like cyberpunk. I wrote all these kind of what I would consider to be the more action oriented tracks, which is the first volume, and then got a good bit into development. And they were like, you know what, we really want versions of these tracks that are more sort of downplayed and like subtle and more ambient style to kind of build atmosphere so that if the player's in the game and they're kind of roaming around, which you can do, it doesn't feel off, you know, as far as the vibe of the game. Like they want it to kind of match. And so I, I created all of those tracks that became volume two. The developers, Stellar Jockeys, uh, decided they were going to do kind of a, a relaunch of the game and they wanted to have, uh, the idea was to have other artists, we tried to get other artists to create music that would live, that could live within the Brigador world. And so that was where Up Armored came from. We just, uh, it was an idea where we go out and find other artists, you know, try to get people involved to um, create something. I thought it was a cool project. We got, we got some really cool people involved. Dallas Campbell was a part of that. Uh, we got Troxum on that. Alphabet Zero. Pilot Priest. Pilot Priest was involved. Uh, Bum Buddy Gavin Singleton. And then a guy, Oxide, my buddy Brian, who is a Started as a chiptune guy, went heavy into modular stuff, and uh, I saw him when I was at MAGFest. He did like a little performance. It was like in a hallway. It wasn't even like a main room performance, and he just like cooked my brain. So I was like, I gotta get this guy <laughs> to be involved in this. Like, and he's, yeah, he's awesome. What's MAGFest? MAGFest is uh, music and gaming. It's a festival. So one of the things that I've been fortunate to do is one of the earliest things that I did is I, I reworked the entire Protoman record, Act One, uh, their first album as a chiptune record. I meet a lot of people even to this day that are like, I got into chiptune music because I heard this record that you made uh, back in the day. And uh, You know, I should stop asking questions like I don't know and <laughs> pretend I know and then say, tell the listeners what MAGFest is. Is. Tell the listeners. Because yeah. I have a funny <laughs> suspicion that you probably told me this last time. <laughs> like, I feel Maybe. like... Well, no, I mean, so... So the, well, no, it's it's kind of cool. Like this is a cool nod to that that community. Like so, I would say in the last year, you know, I got I was able to play Eight Static in Philadelphia. I was able to play Magfest. I was able to play Square Sounds, which was in Melbourne, Australia. And these are like chip tune rooted events. 
But the thing is, chiptune has grown and become such a completely different thing now, mm-hmm. where a lot of it is like lo fi arts and like DIY. And that's why I think a lot of those early chiptune guys have sort of branched into modular and things like that. That community is an amazing community for gaming, arts, music, like you name it. It's, it's very inclusive. It's like super open minded musically. Because I remember the first time I got asked to go play one of those things, I was like, do I really fit in this? You know, like I remember going to Pax, uh, which is in Seattle. I was just like, I don't know if this is a thing that I like fit into. But it was like the kids there embraced all of that and were like super into it. And um, yeah, it's it's been awesome. Like doing that record, you know, Make a Vanity Set presents the Protoman Act one, like doing that record really opened a lot of those doors. And so I'm always, I'll always be grateful for that. It was just an awesome, awesome thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Like, I, I dig it. I d- <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> no, it's cool. I would say what's interesting to me about that is like, you look at something like Synthwave, right? And it's a genre that has continued to grow. Like it keeps growing. And chiptune existed far before Synthwave did. But what's cool about Synthwave is I think as it keeps growing, it's doing the same thing. Like it's kind of stretching out and it's morphing into, you know, now you have all these other genres within Synthwave, right? You've got like all these like dark wave and like, you know, all these different things that are happening. And I feel like what's cool about that is now you're starting to see that growth turn into bigger events you know like you have turbo drive in san francisco and like i went to new jersey to do human music and it's like you have all these really great events that are popping up all over the place and you're getting people to come and see synthwave music so it's pretty awesome like i think i'm really happy that synthwave continues to grow and change like it has you know i think the big fear was always that because it's such a nostalgia based process with synthwave that it was going to be this sort of stagnant thing and it absolutely has not been so that's good well how about this? Because I want to talk to you a bit about you can. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm sort of divided here. My my daughter just walked in and she's handing me my son's uh. tablet here, and I'm going to turn it on for her and put on some stupid game she can play. Uh, she learned how to crawl out of her crib, so oh man, that's that. That's a critical part of development, learning how to escape your crib. Yeah, the problem is... Not for you, for them. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe for you. Yeah. My my daughter's five and my son is three. My son is going through a big Sonic phase right now. He's like super into Sonic the Hedgehog, which they keep like re-releasing. They just put out Sonic Mania is on the Switch now. So we, we got that and he's like obsessed with it, which I'm, I'm all about because I think Sega Genesis had some of the greatest music just the sound chip and i mean like the way the sounds were on those games like just is so awesome and gnarly (laughs) it's been nice like just being in the house and like hearing all those sounds i was working on a on a track and i was looking for a sound and i i had heard something in that sonic mania game and i was like that's kind of like the perfect thing for right here and so i went i was trying to find those sounds online and i found like a bunch of things and I was like playing them in the studio and he came running in because he thought I was playing Sonic. <laughs> He's like super pumped about it. I was like, sorry, buddy. Sorry, sorry to let you down. Well, speaking of music, we should uh, listen to some, sure. uh, which is what I was going to suggest before my uh, daughter walked in the room. You know, you know, the other day when she learned how to crawl out of her crib, I caught her. I, I came into the room and she had actually put all her pillows and stuff outside of the crib. So she had something to land on. <laughs> that's smart. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. It's yeah. also frustrating as hell. But like it's, you know, sometimes when your kid does something that like it's frustrating for you, but at the same time you have to acknowledge like, all right, that was pretty good. It's like when, when my son like kind of lies to me sometimes, I'm like, 
All right, that was a pretty good lie. But I mean, it's frustrating that you're lying to me. But <laughs> there are so many times that my kids do things, and it is exactly that moment in Jurassic Park when the Raptors open the doors. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, that's amazing. But you realize that like the Raptor is now going to get in the room and eat you, and <laughs> you're screwed. Like it's uh, there are so many moments that are like that where you're just like, oh no. <laughs> All yeah. right, look, we're moving on to Chrome, the album Chrome. I apologize to my listeners because now, like, my daughter's just like throwing things in the background. <laughs> my audio is going to be terrible. Um, this no, is from no. the album Chrome. Uh, this is a really thumping album. I dig this one. Big fat beats and bass lines and stuff like this. And uh, and this track is called Implant.
And that was Implant by Makeup and Vanity Set from the album Chrome. And I'm here with Makeup and Vanity Set right now. Matt. Yeah. And you can, like, what are you, do you want to host the show? Is that what's happening? <laughs> That's awesome. I thought you were going to be like, and I'm back with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, she's inching ever closer to the, my, where my microphone is. Technically, she was supposed to nap. This is part of the reason where I look forward to being able to turn Beyonce into, into a full-time thing so I can actually like afford to maybe uh, get a room with a door on it. No, I could totally relate because I feel like I work on music all day long so my kids are definitely used to it. Like, they're just, they're to a point now where it's like, I'm sure it's ad nauseum to them but they're just like, they're used to the fact that music is constantly happening in the house. I mean, mm. And I think they're pretty much into it. Like my son will come in and he'll just kind of you know, there's like weird stuff in the studio and, and they love synths and stuff and keyboards and all this stuff because they can just bang on it and make noise and things like that. So I'm totally, I can definitely relate to the, the intrusion, like the sudden, <laughs> the sudden panic of like, what, what's going on here? I'm going to stop everything I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Because one thing I find interesting, and I don't know if it's the case, because your kids, I guess, are the reverse than mine, because my son is older and my, my daughter's mm-hmm. younger and she's almost two. I mean, I make she probably will be two by the time this episode airs. But I noticed she is noticeably smarter than my son was at that age. And I don't know if it's a case of the second kid has an advantage because they can sort of see an older kid that they can sort of model their behavior on or watch them speaking or something and it and it does things like did you notice any difference no i think what you're talking about is absolutely true like the second kid sees the first kid and it's just like i'm going to do what you do that affects a lot of stuff but i will say that i think girls just developmentally like it goes a lot faster for them. Like they just figure things out faster. My son is like a stout little like destroyer. Like he just (laughs) runs through the house and is like, yeah, there is no threshold with him. I've been to a chiropractor for my shoulder and my back because he has just like, (laughs) he's he's, like just so destructive. But like with my daughter, like my, my daughter was never that way, but my daughter was, I would say developmentally, like she figured things out a lot faster than he has. And I think that's just because that's just the girls versus boys thing, like growing up. That's just the way it is, I'm sure. Yeah, because I mean, that's kind of what I've been hearing from other people. And I've I've really know like it's fascinating, like because my son, even picking up speech and stuff, mm-hmm. it was at the point where I'm like, you know, you, I know you're not supposed to compare your children to other children, like in daycare settings and stuff yeah. like this. But there was a point where I'm like, all right, what's going on here? Like, he seems like he's not <laughs> like there's these other kids walking around like talking and like he was still sort of trying to figure things out. And my daughter, like she's not two yet, but she's already saying words she can count to 10 and she can't even like say the words properly but she can count them like she she knows the numbers she knows her alphabet yeah. so i'm just at this point i'm just like all right well my signs are right off at this point like uh, i'm just putting all, all, all investment into my daughter and she's the one who's gonna because my son dude like he's he's six he's just video games yeah. and i did this on purpose i i was like i want my son to play video games and it worked but he likes them so much and that's all he talks about and it's all he wants to do and it's he's on my PlayStation all the time yeah that's it like that's that's his life it's like comes home from school it's all he's talking about just fucking Minecraft and and whatever (laughs) game is like he's playing at the time and he tries to trick me into because he knows I like getting trophies yeah so he'll try and trick me and like oh you know we got to get some trophies in Goat Simulator and I'm like Goat Simulator is terrible like I I, I bought you that game is a joke 
And he ended up loving it, like, because it was like it was on sale for two dollars, and like now it's yeah. like one of his favorite things. And he's constantly like, Goat Simulator this and Goat Simulator that. I'm like, this game is a joke, dude. But see, that's the great thing, though. I think as kids, kids have this ability to like lock in. It's amazing. Like, I feel like my my son, you know, like he's obsessed with Sonic. You know, my daughter went through the Minecraft thing and was like super into that, and uh, she's into like she's been playing Dragon Quest Builders, which is essentially better minecraft <laughs> yeah, yeah i get that for my son i think like how is that game it's good it's tricky like if your son can't read there's a lot of reading so you end up narrating a lot yeah. so that happens yeah. but <laughs> i don't know it's cool to see like their little brains you know and, and like when they were born i don't know if you like i'm sure you listen to a lot of music with your kids but it's like i would play records all the time for them like when my daughter was born that was our thing and it was amazing to see how she would react to square pusher <laughs> you put on you put something on it's totally insane but it was great because i was like and I, I don't know i was like i know nothing about parents like no parents know what they're doing so i'm like i look at it and i'm like you know i don't know if i'm ruining my child by blasting this you know drill and bass music at her but it was a great thing and, and it's like when i look back on my childhood i have like fond memories of my dad playing motown records for me because as a kid it was important to me because my dad liked it so to me it was like it had this extra magic to it i feel like i get that with my kids too like through video games because we'll play stuff together on the switch they're getting ready for the new mega man so they put the mega man series so it was like a bundle of like the legacy collection or something sure so i downloaded that and it was funny because my daughter was already playing shovel knight and loves shovel knight and shovel knight is like a takeoff of mega man basically but it's like way easier because <laughs> the mega man games are so impossibly hard she i, I like load it up and i start playing it's like the classic mega man music and i'm feeling very nostalgic by this and she's like this is great this is just like shovel knight and i was like yeah and uh and then we start playing it she's like this game is really hard <laughs> it was like it was hard it's still hard for me to play it yeah i won't play them because <laughs> mega man games i have no shame in this i find them too hard and they make me mad the genius thing about the switch edition is they added a function where you hold the left trigger and it rewinds so if you die you can come back uh Perfect. And if you're a repressed uh, Mega Man person, you should totally get it on the Switch because it's they did it. They fixed they fixed the agony. Well, the rewinding is key because I know like um, uh, emulators have that option as well. And yep. even Mega Man games, though, I remember playing them with the rewind feature and the save state feature, and they were still a pain in the ass. Like there was times where I'd be like <laughs> Mega Man and I'd be rewinding yeah. over and over again, like trying to make the same jump and like, oh, dead, rewind, do it again, jump, dead. I'm just like, yeah. how am I continuing to die as I'm rewinding? Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, exactly. My favorite part of that, though, is that the rewind thing rewinds everything including the music and the sound effects so oh, cool. when you get stuck in this weird death loop where you keep dying and rewinding mm. all of a sudden it's like a really awesome vaporwave record <laughs> like it's like <laughs> it's just like this weird slow down like oh yeah <laughs> Look, let's listen to some more music, man, and then we'll keep talking. This was one of the soundtrack albums you did. It was called Trackless. Yeah. Trackless, the original soundtrack. And uh, and I dug this one. They were sort of like kind of different sounds, slightly different than your normal sound. Yeah. And there was a cool track uh, that I, we're going to listen to right now called Iridescent by Makeup and Vanity Set.
That was Iridescent by Makeup and Vanity Set. And I'm here with Makeup and Vanity Set right now, Matt. Trackless was a great experience. The guy who created the game Trackless, Aubrey, sir, he, uh, I met him through Brigador, super gifted artist, and really, I think, a really amazing kind of mind for games. Like, I think he had a really specific goal with Trackless. And when he came to me and asked me to do the soundtrack, he was sort of describing it. And I was thinking to myself, it just reminded me a lot of like classic games like uh, Return to Zork or like Mist, you know, like a strange kind of environment that you're in and you have to do these, ex- you have to explore the environment and solve these puzzles. And I was really into that. And I remember I was in Arizona, I was in Sedona, and I was like staying in this place where you look out the back and there's this giant mountain and it was like real peaceful. And I started r- working on the score to the game and I wrote a couple things and I sent it to him. And it wasn't really until later he and I just started talking. We were we would like chat real time on Skype and he'd be telling me different things that he's into or like different you know musical ideas. And we really locked in when he started talking about Panzer Dragoon and how much that soundtrack meant to him. And I feel like once we kind of locked in on that kind of icy sort of 90s synth sound that whole soundtrack just took off like as soon as i like found that voice for the game like i feel like this the rest of the score just came very quickly and we had a very conscious effort to sort of create something that lived in that world and had that real icy feeling and i think the score really gelled with the game in that regard and um, it was an awesome project to work on like it was just really fun it was uh, aubrey was a trip and, and was really helpful you know when it came to figuring out that voice and yeah the end result was a lot of fun to put together I think I'm going to start calling people that annoy me Zorks. <laughs> see, I would see that as a compliment. I love Zork. So would you like if someone was just like, you fucking Zork? <laughs> like it's, it's... I think it would be like, a, it would. that would be exactly the same as the raptor opening the door for me. I would be like, oh, you know, I'd be like, oh shit, that's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. But I, would, <laughs> I don't know. I guess you're insulting me. Like, I guess I'm about to get eviscerated by a raptor here, but like, that's amazing. What's your setup? as far as like your music making is concerned it depends on what i'm doing like if i'm writing music it's almost always ableton live that's my main workstation it's just i've I've used it for so long it's very easy for me to use it i will mix with logic just because i like i feel like logic works a little better for mixing and if i'm scoring anything that has picture i will do that in logic just because logic's engine for video is way better than live i found that live is really complicated you have to break out the old handbrake and convert everything into a very specific format to get it to work correctly and uh it's just a real pain to do that so it's usually live and logic and then i just have a lot of i have a room full of gear that i use when you're making stuff in uh, in ableton then so what you like you you just bounce out stems and then bring them into to logic that way yeah usually that's what i do if i'm especially lazy i'll probably mix it in, lo- in live i mean mixing in live isn't isn't the end of the world i think tons of people do tons of great stuff from live and I'm not the guy that's going to knock really any <laughs> any system like I feel like there's people out there that make amazing stuff using GarageBand so it's like you know whatever whatever works is good that's where I feel comfortable I think that's the main thing like if you're making music like figure out what works for you and just keep at it now that you I mean that you're actually doing it full time mm-hmm. when writers talk you know they have this this thing where every day they just sort of freeform write for you know half hour or whatever like just to get the fucking creative juices yeah. flowing I hate that expression is there another there's got to be a better one <laughs> 
creative juices <laughs> is that yeah. part of the the thing like do you ever have a thing where you're just like i'm just gonna sit here and just fucking fiddle with stuff i was having this conversation yesterday and i was having it again this morning with, with a, a group of guys that was like you know i think what's really hard is like when you are now in a situation where you can create whenever it's hard then because you have to sort of re-discipline yourself as far as there needs to be a time when you can shut your brain off for sure. If I could write music every day for 10 hours, I would totally do it. Mm because I just love making music. Johnny Jewell just put out a record and he was, and they were interviewing him and he was saying, you know, if I had my way, like I would release an album, I think he said every day or every week or something. <laughs> and I am totally, I like, like that's 100% how my brain functions. Like if I could do that, I would do that. Is that healthy? Probably not. The best course of action is to, you know, work and do that stuff. But I think you also have to give yourself downtime to sort of rest and do something else because that's, that's healthy too. Like it's important to go out and live life and see movies and go see music and you know like do those things because that stuff influences you just as much as sitting in the studio and having some synth or something that that influences you musically or creatively i think for me it's like i get up in the morning because i have kids the kids are usually awake they're ready to roll so it's like i get you know we have breakfast and hang out and i make coffee and i go in the studio and i just go to work you know some days it's like yeah i'll have a deadline or i'm working on stuff you know like last year got into scoring podcasts. I scored a podcast called Atlanta Monster, uh, which was a lot of fun to work on. And then through that work, I'm now scoring an, uh, the next podcast that they're working on, which is Up and Vanished season two. So I'm working on that. You know, with that, there'll be like more specific deadlines. So maybe, uh, you know, the host of the podcast, Payne Lindsay, will come to me and be like, hey, I've got I've got this clip and it's like a really cool thing that I want to do and I have this idea. And then I'll sit down and I'll actually like score that. And that, that stuff is more specific and more time sensitive. But for me, it's like I get up and I, I'll get the coffee going and I'm in the studio and I'm just working, you know, like right now I'm talking with Protoman, hopefully in the fall, uh, I'll be able to, I'll be out on the road with them. So I'll be actually touring legitimately for the first time in forever, you know, something I really hope to do, but I've, I've got some ideas as far as like, maybe I'd like to put something out around that and do that. So I've been like sort of writing to that. That's a whole different ball game too. Like the idea of writing for performing. And I've seen this a lot too, like in Synthwave, like what might sound awesome on a record doesn't necessarily sound awesome live. And so you have to think about that stuff and be conscious about that. So it's like the deadlines do influence the creative process, I guess. But for me, it's like, I feel pretty fortunate that, that I can just you know, get up and, and jump in. I'm definitely that person. Like I don't sleep in. I like, I wake up super early and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. 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 I have a difficulty organizing myself and so much of this. And I, it's hard for like my kind of personality. Cause I'm sort of more scatterbrained. I'm always focused on like 10 different projects at the same time. Yeah. Like right now I'm in the beyond synth set, like for the actual, like the show, like the YouTube version. Yeah. And I just look around and I see this set falling apart and I haven't had a chance to fix any of it or, and then my brain just wanders and I'm like, well, fuck now I'm doing I'm worrying about that instead of just <laughs> focusing like I need uh, I wish I had like a secretary like someone who literally just walks in the room and says yeah you know Andy for the next hour you're fucking doing this and like but you know just do it like that kind of thing yeah like we're talking about earlier about you know assessing your worth it's also like I've started to notice like when am I actually good at working because I used to think I was a night owl yeah and I was like oh I'm a night owl I, I work at nighttime you know and then I started actually paying attention and I'm like I don't do anything after 10 p.m. Like I, after 10 p.m., <laughs> yeah. I might sit in front of my computer yeah. and say I'm working. 
but I'm not. I'm just fucking looking at YouTube videos and clicking. That is super true, though. Like, I feel like, so if I'm on a deadline on a film or something, if I'm trying to work around the clock, like if I'm like, all right, I need this in the morning and I'm going to work all night. The work that I do at night when I'm like super tired is not going to be good work. And then if I wake up in the morning, that work is not, you know, I'm going to be recovering from that, you know, and then basically mm-hmm. I'm just trying to mainline my coffee. And that's not going to be helpful to me either. So part of it also is knowing what you're good at, like knowing your strengths. I'm very fortunate in that my wife works in the music business and understands the music business. I would not be sitting here talking to you right now about my my business as a musician if my wife had not said to me after we got married, she's like, you know, do you monetize your music? Like, do you do, you do these things? I'm like, nah, I don't know anything about it. I just, <laughs> I just make music. You know, I like didn't, I didn't, like none of that stuff was on my radar. Mm-hmm. You know, now, and one of the things I've learned, you know, being freelance and working on projects is that a lot of the time people, you know, if I'm just talking to somebody and it's just me, and, I'm, and they're going, yeah, I want to do this project and blah, 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 blah. And I want to do this. And I'm just emailing back saying, yeah, that sounds cool. This is my rate, blah, blah, blah. If there's an intermediary in that, like if my wife emails or if, if you have some person as like a stopgap that's going to look at it and say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to act on your behalf. Not only do they respond faster, but they usually give you what you want. And it's kind of amazing. And it's not just that it's because it's an extra person doing it. It's because my wife, you know, she works in the business and she knows what she's doing, but I don't have, I don't really have any business hashing out the business end of things if I'm not good at that stuff. Like I'm really not. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm, I just want to work. I think there are a lot of instances when you're working for yourself and it doesn't matter if it's music or anything else. It's like, you know, if you're trying to do good work, if you do have an area that you're not quite as good at, you have to be able to say, I'm going to be okay surrendering that to something. Like if, if you suck at keeping up with your receipts and taking care of your tax stuff, then you probably need to get a tax person. Like there's just common sense things that you have to be able to acknowledge that they're there. You know what I mean? No, man, this is all fucking good advice. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to go from taxes to somehow segueing to playing a song. Oh man. And so I'm trying to think in my brain, like what would be an appropriate segue? What were you, what were you looking at next? Uh, we're going to talk about Synchro. Yeah. I was going to listen to the track Synchro. And by me, I mean all of us in the audience. All of us. Let's do it. Taxes. All right, man. Uh, so uh, <laughs> speaking of taxes, uh, this song didn't tax my brain. Fuck me. <laughs> I don't deserve to do this full time. No, I, I'm a fan of that. That was good. Thank you. 
and that was Synchro by Makeup and Vanity Set, and I'm here with Makeup and Vanity Set right now. Matt, uh, yes. That, la- that last segue, I was thinking about like an inspirational poster that says like you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> <laughs> You did it, man. It yeah, good. I guess. Awesome. That's one way of yeah. thinking about it. It's like I'm taking shots every time I uh, say something really fucking dumb. You got to go for it. Like, I, you know, like the Did Airline stuff, all of those EPs were a ton of fun to work on and kind of branching off the whole Sega Genesis conversation. Like, it's a different sound. Mm. And it was a conscious effort to do this. Because Did Airlines, their label, uh, you know, when I first started talking to, talking to them about doing the release, one of the terms that kept getting tossed up was post-chip. And it was this idea of like coming off of like 8-bit or chiptune and having music that still lives in that world somehow. Mm-hmm. All of those EPs were completely influenced by William Gibson and his writing and, you know, and, and all of the sprawl stuff. And like, to me, the sound had to kind of embody that feeling. And, and for me, a lot of that was that kind of wave station, different types of synthesizers, like late 80s, early 90s, a wave station or M1. Like those synths were a big part of that those records and just coming up with that just specifically trying to come up with a certain vibe that had that kind of real digital feeling not dissimilar from sega genesis you know that kind of vibe to it and so yeah those were a blast to work on i was really when that whole thing was finished i was really proud of it and and the label is as much a part of that too like just making that happen Uh, i loved working with data airlines like uh, just a great label super awesome to deal with and yeah it was a lot of fun well i like having fun (laughs) <laughs> i haven't recorded interviews in a few weeks <laughs> no it's a, that's good i'm glad you i'm glad you like having fun yeah man it's it's it's, it's have you, you ever watched face off on blu-ray dude i just rewatched face off so i'm going through this major 90s kick right now of like films that i remember as a kid in the 90s really loving that I maybe haven't seen in a minute. And so I recently watched Universal Soldier, Face Off, uh, watched Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I don't think I'd seen that since it came out. For some reason, I always go back to the first two. Right. And I watched Die Hard with a Vengeance, and that's a pretty solid movie. Like, still really enjoyed it. Face Off cooked my brain when I watched it because the thing that I loved about it was when it first came out, everybody was like, oh, it's great because it's Travolta and Nick Cage, and they are role reversed. And so they're acting like each other. And isn't that hilarious? And I think the reality of Face Off now is that you get not one, but you get two Nicolas Cage performances. And I think that's why that movie is amazing. Face Off is awesome. And I think it's one of the last traditional action blockbuster movies because you, you know now when you watch movies now it's all digital it's all like digital gun fucking muzzle flashes and stuff yeah it's all digital blood bursts and all this yeah and like face off is one of the last ones when you go back and watch it and it's like yeah it's all like real stunts and big explosion and the stunt people in face off are so obviously not nicholas cage and john travolta <laughs> that it, yeah. it is amazing like when they do that slow motion shot where the boat hits the beach yeah and it crashes and then clearly looks like two different men in tuxedos go flying through the air. 100% not them. <laughs> and it's like, and it's even in slow motion enough that you can clearly see their faces. And it's like the stuntman for Nicolas Cage as well has a lot more hair than Nicolas Cage has. <laughs> yeah. So you'll see Nicolas Cage as like hairline. And then all of a sudden the stuntman will like jump off this high ledge and just like, not Nicolas Cage. I don't know who that guy is, but he's like, <laughs> I think no, they did a like, fucking body off for that dude. But I, I feel like what's great about it is like Nicolas Cage is incapable of not being Nicolas Cage. So Nicolas Cage as Travolta is still this weird, like recoiled in horror 
Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage. Reacting to Travolta being Nicolas Cage. It's awesome. It's so over the top and ridiculous. It still works. It still holds up. It's still amazing. People don't really talk about that movie, but it's like, it's one of the ones that, you know, when you have buddies, if you like quote things and like, yeah, face off is one of those movies I quote with my friends like all the time. You know, when you you know, you've seen a movie enough times that like the quotes aren't like the main ones. Sure. So it's not like everyone's always doing the, I want to take his face off, you know, like, (sighs) There's yeah. the dude when they're in the prison and like fucking yeah. nature channel. And then yeah. It's when like, yeah, it's amazing how. And the other thing about the, the thing about those movies that really gets me is that it's a total package, too. It's like the right stars, the right director. Face Off was an early John Powell score. It's a really great soundtrack. It's one of those great like 90s. There was a thing in the 90s that like I think Hans Zimmer basically created this trope as Hans Zimmer does. It's very like it's symphonic guitar music all the stuff that's going on it's like there's big bombast with the score but there's all this like (laughs) there's like all these guitars like going in the background and stuff and it's like crimson tide and like all those films from the like basically the the bruckheimer Mm -hmm. early michael bay like the rock and stuff like that like they basically wrote a book on scoring a film like that and it's just it has this great vibe to it Another one that I really love, it doesn't really count because it's not, I think it's early 2000s, is Bad Boys 2, which still, to me, holds up as just a masterclass in film production opulence. (laughs) I've never never seen the Bad Boys movies. Oh, for shame. You need to watch Bad Boys 2. I don't know about Bad Boys 1, but 2 is just so perfectly constructed. And I, I don't. And the thing to me is like I now that I'm working, like I'm doing. You know, I just scored my first feature, and I'm working on films more. And it's like as you get into that world a little bit, and you're dealing with larger studios and things like that. Like it is amazing to me that any movie gets made. It is such an ordeal for a film to be made. The idea that someone sat down and said that the last Boy Scout is going to be a great idea <laughs> and we should make this movie. Because I was talking to somebody the other day about Beetlejuice. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, the thing about Beetlejuice, whether you like it or not, is just like, how the fuck did a studio okay this? <laughs> like, think about Beetlejuice for a second, man. Like, that movie yeah. is just yeah. so yeah. weird. And Absolutely. like, it was it was produced by a fucking Hollywood studio. It's got Hollywood actors and it's like, what is this fucking thing? Like, how would you even explain that movie in a meeting? Well, you have to think like so Beetlejuice is interesting because Beetlejuice was a Geffen thing and so it's like Geffen at that point is basically printing money in the music business so it's like you have so much money to deal with that they're like yeah let's take a chance let's do something like Beetlejuice but it's like I always think about the Key and Peele sketch about Gremlins 2 where the guy comes in and gives everybody what they want at the table and it's like how does a movie like that even exist like how does somebody go in and pitch last action hero to a studio and they go that sounds like a great idea let's do it especially when there's a lot of effects and work involved in like other areas like even like the gremlins 2 example is a great one because it's like yeah you've got the script but then there's going to be months of people building costumes and like someone had to design like the fucking female gremlin yep. and like so that's someone's <laughs> job it's like well they're, pu- they're putting lipstick on the big pouty lips of the gremlin and like that would have taken weeks you yeah. know and it's just like that's why i feel bad sometimes for some people because you know when 
when you think about like the Star Wars prequels, for example, like I always feel bad for just oh the animator who finally gets to work and he gets to work on a Star Wars movie and it's so exciting because he grew up with Star Wars. But then his job is to animate or her. Yeah. Uh, job is to animate Jar Jar Binks stepping in shit. Yeah. And like that's your job for the next three weeks is you're animating the scene where Jar Jar steps in shit and goes like ooh poozu or whatever the fuck he says. <laughs> And it's like, how disheartening yeah. that must be when, you know, like someone else at least is doing like, what are you animating? Like, I'm animating the part where he fucking fights that robot. I'm like, oh, I'm doing the part where Jar Jar steps and shit. <laughs> Somebody has to do it, man. Yeah. It's just the, that's, that's the universe, man. It's just the way it works. Listen. That's, yeah. Well, sorry, I was going to move on. Did you, do you want to say something? No, no, no. I think, yeah, no, we've, that was very sufficient. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want I to point to... out that, that I'm running an interview show where I take a pause and ask the guest if they want to say something. No, I could I could literally talk about nineties nineties action film opulence all day long. <laughs> yeah. Well let's it's a uh, deep passion of mine. Yeah, let's listen to a track here. This is from Pris. Yeah. And I know whenever I read that word, I hi baby, what's up? <laughs> you gotta announce the song, okay? So can you say can you say Pris? Hey. Pris. Hey. P. P. That was good. That was, that was good. Can you say P? Hi. P. Okay, can you say doggy? This is a ball. Can you say doggy? This is a ball. Can you say puppy? Puppy. <laughs> Close. I love how children are just like little drunk people. That's yeah, oh, really all dude, it is. Dude. It's like living with an old drunk grandma. She runs around, she falls, she's like walks backwards and trips over things and then just yeah. says random stuff, walks in the room and throws something and leaves. Sometimes you walk into a room and she'll just start crying for no reason. It's like, I'm like the, living with a fucking drunk. It is an exercise in patience and yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Can you say crush? <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, we're going to listen. <laughs> okay. I'm not even trying anymore to do proper segues. This is a song called Crush.
All right, and that was Crush by Makeup and Vanity Set. And I'm here with Makeup and Vanity Set right now because I love Blade Runner. And so when I see Pris, I always hear in my head the way Rudger Hauer says it, or Rudger Hauer. Yeah. Uh, he says it when, uh, you know, when he finds her dead, like after that scene, just, yeah. Pris, you know, and he's like yeah. rubbing her face or whatever. And like that's. It's the most Shakespearean delivery yeah. of the word, <laughs> is the way he does it. Yeah. <laughs> But um, speaking of uh, Universal Soldier, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this could go anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with it. See, that movie's actually not that bad either. Like, I, I think I watched it maybe like a few years ago. Yeah, and I was like, hey, this one's okay. It's like it's one of the better Van Dams. It, it might even be the. I'm trying to think of, of Van Damme's movies. I know everyone loves Kickboxer. Yeah. Kickboxer's a mess, though. Oh, no, sorry. Not Kickboxer. What's the better one? Bloodsport's the better one. Bloodsport. Yeah. Kickboxer cracks me up because it's essentially like Karate Kid, the movie. Mm. It's a riff on that. It's not done well. Nothing's better than the fucking learn to do the splits by... Yeah, no, no, no. Legs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's full of... But you do get the Van Damme dance scene, which I... So I recently rewatched kickboxer so i'm glad you mentioned that one that was one of the 90s which i guess it's not even 90s it's probably late 80s so everybody always makes fun of that scene where he dances but the thing that i didn't realize is what he's wearing in that scene so i always just thought he's wearing like this weird like leotard wife beater thing it is like a leotard but it's got these like suspender clips that hold the thing up Mm. and it makes no sense i'm like how (laughs) The first thing I see is like, why would you design a piece of clothing like that? But then the other thing is like, how would you even put that on? Like I'm sitting there watching it. Like <laughs> I got in this deep, I had this deep crisis while I was watching that scene. Cause it just, it was so like, and part of me was like, I'm sure I have no doubt that Van Damme had that piece of clothing personally and was like, I'm wearing this in the scene. Like, this is just yeah. the way it is. Like, uh, <laughs> I think this looks amazing and I'm going to wear it and people are going to be, hey, you understand next summer, everyone's going to be wearing these. Like, it's just yeah. the way that it works. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to throw your weight around on set. For Van Damme, I was always really, and I, you know, I might catch flack for this, but I was always super into uh, hard target. I always loved that movie. With Richard Brimley, man. That's the, yeah. uh, or Wilford, fucking, Wilford uh, Brimley. Yeah, Wilford Brimley. What I just call him? Richard? Richard. <laughs> they couldn't get Wilford, so they got his brother Richard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also diabetic. I was trying to spin it into a diabetes <laughs> joke, and I couldn't do it. No, but you get you get, uh, you get get Lance Henriksen is the bad guy in that movie. So it's good. It's like solid. It's a solid movie. I always joke about it, though, because with any John Woo movie, I feel like if you take all the action scenes that are slow motion and you speed everything back up to normal speed the movie would be like 45 minutes long well that's what I love about John Woo is because he he produces what are essentially all these B movies but that have this pretentiousness to them like with the sure. dove imagery and stuff yeah. and it's like and he, he always overdoes it and I remember I think it was actually I thought Face Off was the right amount but I remember Mission Impossible 2 was the point where I was yeah. like off of John Woo where no. I was just like dude you're too much too much doves no, too yeah. much slow motion yeah I remember the motorcycle scene in that being, like, just totally ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like, first of all, Van Damme looks amazing in that film with the hair. That's the way... Isn't that the movie with the... the, Like, that summer? Like, you know, every summer there's always... Where Hollywood... There's a period where there'd be two studios competing with each other. Like, this is our volcano picture. Exactly. And then, oh, the other studios got their volcano picture. And then, oh, this is our asteroid movie. And uh, I think, wasn't that the summer where it's like the, the, the theme was rich people hunting bums? What other movies? <laughs> Fucking so, the wait. one with Ice-T. Oh, yeah. Judgment Day? No, not Judgment. Judgment Night? Is that the film? It's like uh, it's something, it's not, 
target oh fuck what is it it's the, the same plot it's like people get thrown into the woods and they're hunted by rich people uh and and rich people hunt bums surviving like they, the game surviving the game it? yeah you're totally right is it rucker Hauer in that yeah he might be and also the dude yeah. who ended up playing the doctor in scrubs what's his name fucking uh Who's like the asshole Dude. captain in? Uh, yeah, in, uh, I know. I know exactly who you're talking about. God damn it! What, <laughs> useless. That's, a, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. I just googled it, and it's like you might also be looking for Hard Target. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are, you, are you in the mood for a movie where rich people hunt bums? <laughs> like, I am. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. I always really liked Hard Target because the other thing about Hard Target that's a, that's really wonderful, it's another one of those movies where the action stars all have ridiculous weapons that don't make sense. <laughs> so I think, didn't, didn't Van Damme have like a crossbow or something? He has like some kind of crazy weapon. But then also Henriksen as the bad guy has some kind of weird giant handgun that he has to load every round into it one at a time. <laughs> You watch it and you're like, it doesn't make it. Like, why would you want that? Like, I guess it looks fancy, but it's like ergonomically, it made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's like Tango and Cash, Kurt Russell's gun in that has like a crazy sight on the top and like a laser thing on it. And like as a weapon, ergonomically, like it made no sense for him to have that gun whatsoever. <laughs> I think there's just this time where, and I'm not, I don't want to say it was like a more innocent time, but they would just make these silly action films with these dumb concepts and like, it was all just at face value. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no meta conversation. There was no joke like, oh, what a weird weapon you have or whatever. Like, it's just like, nope, that's his gun because he's a bad guy and bad guys have, you know, yeah, unique weapons. I, that, I that's feel like that's their character. I feel like it's partially like the over the top sensibility. It's another good one. Over the top. Over the top sensibility of those that the films but i think it's also the sensibility of the time and that's one of the things i always appreciate about synthwave music and, you know just round circling the wagons back to the topic the, with synthwave i feel like <laughs> thank you no what's what's, <laughs> what's great about synthwave to me is that it's all nostalgia for an era of music when everything was about fantasy mm. every aspect of it was about fantasy and i think largely in part because that era of the 80s everything that was going on in reality was like miserable. You're talking about like the economy, Reaganomics, the Cold War, the AIDS crisis. Like you have all these things that are really distressing and troubling. And you look at the era musically and you look at the era film-wise and you have this surge in like science fiction. You have this surge in the like just over the top machismo of action films, right? So it's like not only did all the action stars have the crazy guns, but they're all like crazy looking like everybody's super jacked you know everybody's like really muscular and crazy looking and that was the era that they were in it was like everything was about making an escape you know yeah and i think i sort of prefer that because now I, my my issue i'm having with a lot of like modern movies is like everything's very meta yeah you know it's all very referential and you can't just do a straightforward kind of silly film without acknowledging the movie that it kind of feels like or like Sorry, my, now my daughter's like playing with some farm toys. So if you hear like <laughs> farm music in the background, that's what's going on there. I thought you were saying now my daughter has the knives. Yeah. <laughs> just, she has some other d deadly object. She's got the Ginsu. Yeah. She's going to cut my shoe in half. <laughs> You, you couldn't do, like, if you do, like, a time travel movie that's, like, just some sort of fun, whimsical thing, you'll still get some character turning around acknowledging Back to the Future or something. It's like... Yeah. It's like you can't just do like just a straightforward thing. Yeah. And I think the fucking that that's an annoying toy. <laughs> 
No parenting, man. When when the batteries die, you're like, oh, it's broken. <laughs> like you can't, can't I know. Play this, it's such a great time. Yeah. And now it's like, I think it's like frozen on a thing. What are you doing? <laughs> this is the most unprofessional show I've recorded. <laughs> That's a good point. Because the self-referential aspect of it. So like going back to like Chris as an EP, right? I'm essentially creating a series of EPs right now. And this series of EPs are all tied to that world, namely the replicants in Blade Runner, in the original Blade Runner film. And at a certain point, you have to say enough, right? With the self-referential or the referential to something, you know, like everybody is out there sort of miming something of that era. And it's especially prevalent in in, uh, and present in synthwave music. And the idea was, you know, the reason I did Pris was because I looked at the situation, I looked at the film and I thought to myself, I really like her character. I like the idea of her character. I like that her character, I like that replicants are dangerous and scary and are sort of, in this case, they're sort of out of control. Her character's never really explored, but her character is also like shown to be this sort of innocent component to what they're doing. But when she needs to be deadly, she's super dangerous. And so I really wanted to just write, I didn't, I didn't want to do something that was just like, oh, look, it's Blade Runner. I wanted to do something that was, uh, and I, I had people come up to me and be like, dude, Chris is, uh, you know, they really like the EP, but they didn't immediately pick up on the fact that it had its connection to Blade Runner, you know, right. even with the title. And it was like, you know, I think that's kind of the way I looked at it. And I thought, you know, and, and the, the next EP that comes out, you know, the idea was, um, you know, looking at uh, the character of Zora and like what, you know, how to, how to write music from that point of view. And I wanted it to sonically be a little different. I wanted it to be kind of more of a hard edge because Zora is more of a hard edge, you know. I thought of it as a process. To me, it was what made it worth doing or worth looking at was... The fact that I'm not trying to just do it for Blade Runner's sake, I'm doing it because I'm, you know, I was like genuinely interested in those characters and writing from that point of view, not just saying, oh, it's an homage to Blade Runner. It's not really an homage to Blade Runner. It's, uh, it's just exploring those characters, you know, and, and I, that might that might be a byproduct of doing more score work or that kind of thing. But I don't know. As far as the thing that was motivating me, that was kind of something that I thought would be worth investigating. I guess you know, musically. There should be a track in, in the album about how when Zora goes crashing through the glass, she gets replaced by a really obvious stunt devil with a crazy wig. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to yeah. express that musically. <laughs> this is a track about when she goes crashing through the glass and it's an obvious <laughs> stunt devil. Spotify might flag me for that. They might be like, this is too long. You got to shorten it. Well, listen, man, we can probably wind this down, but uh, you do have some things coming up. And so yeah. we can play a track. For, what are you doing? Now she's trying to climb the desk. <laughs> See, this is why it's just like when it comes to like recording interviews, I'm like, oh, this is a great time to record because my daughter will be napping. Yeah. Until <laughs> they don't. They always know when you need that time. That's the, that's the reality. No, they're uh, clever that way. Anyway, look, <laughs> the point is that you've got a new project coming out very soon. So talk about that. No, I have, I have a record coming. It's a collaboration between myself and... Uh, Jasmine Cassett, you know, she and I have worked together on tracks before. She was featured on 8888 and Wilderness. And, uh, you know, we really wanted to just do a true collaboration where we sat down and made an entire record together. And 
that's where this sort of led. And when we got to the end of it, we decided that we did not want to just call it Makeup and Vanity Set and Jasmine Cassett. We wanted to give it a new name. And uh, we went through the arduous process of trying to figure out what to call it. And, you know, I th I'm proud of this record. I think we made something that's really cool. I'm really um, excited to finally share it with people. And um, it's been a long time in the making. It's been a really cool thing that we've put a lot of uh, heart and soul into. Cool, man. Well, let's listen to this track, Summer Blade. And I guess this is the uh, official debut, so that's cool. So uh, this is Summer Blade by U Drive. Oh, 
And that was the debut of Summer Blade by You Drive, uh, an album collaboration by Makeup and Vanity Set and Jasmine Cassett. And I'm here with Makeup and Vanity Set right now, Matt. And uh, you know what? The both of you should come on the show sometime because you've done previous collabs with Jasmine before, you know, as you mentioned. And it would be cool to have you both on to talk about those yeah. and uh, also the uh, new project. Yeah, that would be great. It was a super cool project. I think Jas- one of the things I love about Jasmine is that she just is really, really good at writing melodies and hooks and things. And what I love about it is that it's the process is where like I'll write some kind of piece of music and send it to her. And it feels like I always feel like when I send her a demo, it's like it doesn't fe- it feels substandard. You know, it doesn't feel good to me. And then she'll do something and send it back to me. And I'm just like, now it, now it feels amazing. Like she's just one of those things where like you get to collaborate with a person and it just feels perfect you mm-hmm. know and so it was cool to get to do that for an entire record and uh and yeah we're really proud of it it'll hopefully be out sometime the end of july and um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be good well that's exciting man i i i, I listened to it like i thought it was good I'm, I'm one of those people that gets to listen to stuff early i feel like a villain of some kind <laughs> It's it's weird because like we're slowly starting to pull the curtain back and let people in on it and sending it out and it's like it's strange because the process has been very long and so it's like having had the music finished for a long time and then letting other people hear it is like stressful. It's like strange because it's like <laughs> you get so you're like used to it, you know, and then all of a sudden you have somebody that's like listening to it and and experiencing it the first time and then you, and talking to you about it. It's like it's like oh yeah, this thing we're gonna finally do the thing. It's good. I'm excited about it. Well, that's good. I mean, uh, I'm excited too. I think it sounds cool. So uh, people should should dig it and should go and check out the Makeup and Vanity set because there's lots of albums to listen to and it's cool stuff. I don't speak usually in very musical terminology. So I'm just like, hey, man, this is cool. And that's like that's about as much as I can do. I feel like we talked about that last time, like the concept of like when you collaborate with people and they're like, make it sound alien <laughs> you're like and and you're like what do you what does that even mean it has no musical context i mean it's like half the time when you're dealing with a, a project or people that aren't musicians and they speak in non-musical ways and you have to kind of yeah I, like mine would just be cool so i was collaborating cool. with people musically i'm just like just do it you know just do a cool thing just make it cool and they'll be like you know what i mean cool yeah you know what i mean but then you send it <laughs> but then they send it to you and you're like that doesn't sound cool man not cool (laughs) it sounds like shit (laughs) there's like no no constructive criticism it's just like it's not good it's not cool man yeah (laughs) well anyways dude listen you have a lovely day yeah take care of your kids keep them out of trouble yeah well i mean sort of my office is in like one big room so it's it's easy to sort of keep like the living room is like where my office is in the corner and so for the most part the kids just they're in front of me i'm just sort of watching them which is why i don't get any work done it could be worse though uh, when I was working on the podcast on Atlanta Monster, my daughter would come, my kids would come wandering in from time to time, and I'd be in there like trying to write music underneath a you know a retired detective talking about how he found some kid face down. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there's gonna come a day where my kids at school and the teacher's like, "What does your dad do for a living?" Like, he scores uh, serial killer podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's unique. Well, it's got to be done, man. Those things are... Uh, yeah, someone's got to do it. Yeah. They're burgeoning in popularity, and we got to... 
we got to find out the truth of whether or not that dude was actually innocent because the story is always more complicated than it first appears. That's true. Is that true of the ones that you score? Uh, Atlanta Monster was cool because it was less about whether or not the guy did it and more about the community and how the community was sort of terrorized by this guy. There was some ambiguity and I think some, and he certainly from prison wants to be like, oh, I didn't do it or here's all the reasons. I think it was less about that and more about a city sort of in terror, you know, dealing with it. And, uh, but you're absolutely right. Like true crime, that whole thing is very much dependent on telling a story. There are all these stories to be told and it's, it's awesome. It's a great thing to work on because it's, you know, there's just endless inspiration to write music. I, I literally just saw that advertised today. I just opened up Netflix and the story of the guy who pushed some lady down the stairs. I'm like, okay, so we're, <laughs> we're, we're here now. <laughs> well, okay, good stuff. It is. It's a burgeoning, burgeoning market. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and I don't know what happens for that. Is there like an ambulance chaser style podcaster who like, is just looking for the next true crime breakthrough, like, you know, soliciting that kind of thing. I don't know, maybe. Call me, I'll score it. <laughs> Must be really disappointing, too, if you're trying to, like, build the case of this dude's innocent, and then, like, halfway through, you're like, oh, fuck, this dude's guilty as shit. <laughs> and I've built up this whole thing with dramatic music and plot twists to sort of go, is he or isn't he? And then, like, the dude's just full-on guilty, and like, fuck. That could be a really interesting, like, true crime parody podcast well that that one they did on netflix was pretty fucking good making a murderer no the the parody one the, the who drew the dicks uh what the hell was it called oh yeah <laughs> no i know what you're talking about yeah that was actually about. really well written like i thought yeah. i thought they did a, such a good job on that show and i don't even remember what it was called so that shows you how much i liked it who drew the dicks is what i'm calling it <laughs> that's good <sighs> if they didn't title it they, that they should have because you would have remembered it you know what i mean okay did you just hear that? I can't, I can't think of a better way to end this, honestly. This is what I listen to all day. <laughs> like, all day. Good. Could you- <laughs> Very Midwestern of you. Very it's Midwestern. Fucking- oh, yeah. my God. Anyways, dude, listen. It was fun talking to you. Come back on the show again. I'm sure you'll have lots of stuff to listen to in the near future, so you're always welcome to come back and chat, man. Anytime. Always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, man, keep on keeping on. What? God. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I mean, I, I'm kind of sensing a theme here. You have, like, this kind of Midwestern farm animal sounds. <laughs> keep on keeping on. Maybe you're channeling, like, another parallel existence mm. where you were, like, a truck driver in Iowa. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can channel the parallel existence where I actually, like, run a proper program and I'm a good host. <laughs> If, if that reality exists somewhere, I'd like to tap into it. The one where it's like, hey, this guy's actually good at what he does. Anyway, uh, listen, dude, fun talking, and we'll, we'll fucking we'll talk again sometime. Keep on keeping on, man. All right, and that was my conversation with Makeup and Vanity Set. I always enjoy uh, chatting with him. We have a lot of fun. And he produces lots of music, so there's always reason to have him back on the show, and I will. And, uh, you know, if you have an opportunity, go check out the Makeup and Vanity Set Bandcamp. Uh, There's a ton of uh, awesome music there, so you should uh, go listen. And that is all I have to say for this week of Beyond Sin. So thank you guys for listening to the show. Thank you for uh, indulging me. (laughs) At the beginning there, uh, I just, I needed to say that stuff, and um, 
And now it is said, and that's all that matters. So thank you all for listening to the show. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And yeah, have a lovely weekend. You're all cool people, each and every one of you. And I want you to know it. Catch you on the flip side. Thanks for Thanks for listening to Beyond Synth. If you would like to support Beyond Synth, please visit patreon.com forward slash beyond synth. And don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Instagram. If you want to submit your music for the show, please email it to beyondsynth at gmail.com. Have a lovely day. And uh, who else? We got another new donor here. Chris Alila Lane. Chris Alila with the 1111. Lucky 1111. You know, are you one of those people who's superstitious when you look at the clock and when it says 1111? You're like, well, that means something. That's not just because every day my head always turns towards the clock at around that time. It means something. Something special. Thank you, Chris Lila Lane. You're a cool lady. You're one of them lovely ladies I was talking about from before. And then I felt the need to be politically correct, and I said, well, I also need lovely men. But that was bullshit. (laughs) Anyways, Chris Lila, that name sounds fake to me, but I'm uh, happy for your support. I'm happy for your support. Does that make sense? I don't know. Thank you, Chris Lila. Chris Lila Lane. I just like to say that one. That sounds cool. And of course, there's Jacob Wick. And with the donation of the 1111, lucky 1111, there's Chris Alaya Lane. And I fucked it up last time and I said it many, many times as Chris Alila, but it's not. It's Chris Alaya. Chris Alaya Lane. So there you go. I'm saying it right now. Chris Alaya Lane. Chris Alaya. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your uh, awesome donation. And of course, with the donation of the 1111, there's Chris Alaya Lane. And then with the donation of the 1111, it's Chris Alaya Lane. And then of course, there's the donation of the 1111 from Chris Alaya Lane. Chris Alaya Lane. Hi, Chris Alaya. I'm on Instagram now, so. I saw you post a picture of yourself in an American flag bathing suit. And then there's Jacob Wick. <laughs> and my lovely donation of the 1111, it's Chris Alaya Lane. And then with the 1111, it's Chris Alaya Lane. Thanks, Chris Alaya Lane. And with the donation of the 1111, it's Chris Alaya Lane. We've saved the best for last because these are the people who donate the wacky amounts, if you know what I mean. There's Chris Alaya Lane with the 1111. Don't be sad, Chris Alaya Lane. Be happy. And uh, thank you very much for supporting the show. Uh, I was flipping through my Instagram and I got the impression that Chris Alaya was sad. So I'm saying don't be sad. I know this show is probably not going to help. 
It's like a very depressing and lame episode of Beyond Synth, but, um, you know, fucking, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say to sad people. I'm, <laughs> I'm bad at consoling people. Or maybe I'm good at it. I don't know. I feel like I'm, like, trying to entertain a child. You know, when someone's, like, being sad and I start being goofy to, like, make them laugh. And I'm like, I don't know if this works on adults. Maybe it does. I don't know. Anyways, be happy, Chris Aliyah Lane. Things are all right. And then there's Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111. And then the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111. And then with the 1111, it's the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane. And then with the 1111, it's the lovely Chris Aliyah Elaine. And then we get into my my wacky, these wacky people that donate all these uh, creative amounts. Of course, there's the lovely Chris Elia Lane with 1111. And then there's my lovely wacky donation people who, who want to be outside the system and donate weird amounts. All right. And I take notice. All right. There's the lovely Chris Elia Lane. And of course, uh, my wacky donors. You know, you guys, you know who you are. There's Chris Elia Lane. And then my lovely, uh, my lovely donors here who give all the wacky amounts, you know, with the 1111, as always, it is the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane. As always, the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane. As always, the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane. And now with the lovely 1111, it's Chris Aliyah Lane. And then my lovely wacky donors with the 1111, it's Chris Aliyah Lane. And of course, the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane. Thank you for your support of Beyond Synth. It means a lot to me. All right, you know what? And the 1111, Chris Aliyah Lane. And the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111. Thank you guys for supporting Beyond Synth. And the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane. I got worried there because I was, I, I had it sorted by a different way. I clicked on the wrong thing and the Excel spreadsheet went funny and Chris Aliyah's name was gone and I was like, oh, because I like reading her name. <laughs> I feel bad because then I make this personal. So I think people maybe like they feel bad if they decide like they don't want to donate to the show anymore, which is completely fine. But then like, you know, since I read their name every week and when like a donor uh, goes away and I don't read their name, sometimes I, I'm so ready to read the name because I do them every week. And then I'm like, oh, when there's a name missing, I'm kind of like, oh, oh, okay. You don't, you don't love me anymore. <laughs> So for a second there, I had it sorted, and Chris Eli's name wasn't in there, and I'm like, oh, where'd Chris Eli go? <laughs> I just like saying, Chris Eli. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> and of course, there's Chris Eli Lane with the 1111, and Chris Eli Lane with the 1111, and lucky Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111 and the lucky Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111. I say lucky because 1111, right? Isn't that a lucky thing? You know, when you look at the clock? And Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111. And of course, uh, the lovely Chris Aliyah Lane donating to Beyond Synth and walking her dog. I don't know what... <laughs> This is me pretending I know what people do. And of course, there's Chris Aliyah Lane with the 1111. Hi, Chris Aliyah. Keep it classy over there. I'm watching you. Basically, whenever I'm bored, I go on Twitter and I'll just hit my home button and see some stuff. And uh, Chris Aliyah was writing filthy things. And, I'm, and I've become the classy police now. And I'm going to be like, hey, man, I don't actually care. I just... <laughs> 
I'm doing what they call filling time, in quotes. And the lovely Chrysalia Lane with the 1111. Hi, Chrysalia. Keep it classy, if you know what I mean. I just like to bug Chrysalia because she was posting scandalous photos. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh to do. I'm going to take that photo, Chrysalia, and I'm going to Photoshop a dress on you. All right? I'm just kidding. I have no time to do any photoshopping. Fuck sakes. And the lovely Chris Lane with the 1111. And the lovely Chris Lane. And the lovely Chris Lane with the 1111. And an 1111 from the lovely Chris Lane. And the lovely Chris Lane with the 1111. And with the 1111, it's the lovely Chris Lane. And of course, there's the lovely Chrysalia Lane with the 1111. Hi, Chrysalia. I hope you're doing all right today. I know it, <laughs> when I say it in that voice, it sounds insincere, but uh, I mean it. It's uh, it's just when I'm when I'm in front of the microphone, I just like to go. I hope you're having a good day. When in fact, I mean, I hope you're having a good day. Even that is that weird too. Someone walked in and said that to you in that tone of voice? I don't know. And then, of course, with the 1111, it's the lovely Chrysalia Lane. Hi, Chrysalia Lane. Do you get to listen to this show when you're working? If you work at, like, a big box store, are you allowed to have headphones on? I doubt it. Anyway, thanks, Chrysalia. And, of course, the lovely Chrysalia Lane with the 1111. Okay. And with the 1111, it's the lovely Chrysalia Lane. And then with the 1111, it's the lovely Chrysalia Lane. All right, we'll just do one for old time's sake. <laughs> Chrysalia Lane. I'm not good at saying goodbye to people, and I hope it's a skill I don't have to be good at. But goodbye, Chris Lane.